Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. This episode was recorded on October 26th, 2023. Now, let's get started with our host today, AVP and Council Head of Advanced Markets, Carly Brooks. Hello, and welcome to Hancock Talks. Today, we are diving into planning opportunities for the foreign national marketplace. In today's global economy, many international individuals have connections to the U.S., including business, financial, and personal interests. As a result, they often have complex U.S. estate and tax planning needs. Additionally, a new law goes into effect in January of 2024 that may further impact planning for these clients. This is an area of tremendous growth and something I personally am very passionate about. I couldn't be more excited to welcome our guest to the show today, Ruth Mattson. Ruth Mattson is a partner at Vera Law in Boston, Massachusetts. Ruth provides estate and tax planning for international individuals and multinational families. They're a frequent speaker and author on international estate planning topics for the American College of Trust and Estates Council, Massachusetts Continuing Legal Education, and other professional organizations worldwide. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Thanks for having me, Carly. Ruth, you have a lot of expertise working with multinational families. To set the stage, can you share with us at a a high level some of the nuanced planning differences that you see with respect to this market compared to working with U.S. citizens? Sure. I mean, nearly every multinational family could benefit from life insurance. The planning needs and issues are going to depend on the citizenship and residence of the insured person and the beneficiaries. So there are going to be interesting planning opportunities for U.S. citizens who live overseas. But to keep things as simple as possible today, like you suggested, let's just talk about planning for non-U.S. persons. That would be anybody who's not a U.S. citizen, not domiciled in the U.S., not a green card holder. Those are non-U.S. persons, and they're subject to U.S. estate tax whenever they own U.S. property at their death. So that would include U.S. real property, U.S. tangible property like autos, artwork, boats registered in the U.S., any U.S. stock and securities also is going to be included in their estate tax at death. And there's only a $60,000 exemption on U.S. situs property for non-U.S. persons. So it can be a real surprise to the family when somebody passes away owning you know, a U.S. condo or some, some U.S. stocks, and all of a sudden there's U.S. estate tax due on that. There is some good news U.S. life insurance is not subject to estate tax when it's owned by a non-U.S. person. So life insurance can pass completely tax-free without any need for a life insurance trust. Those are basic rules. Treaties can give additional benefits. um, And sometimes a, a trust is a good idea for life insurance, even though it's not needed for tax purposes. But I hope that gives a, a general idea. 
Absolutely. It's a really helpful overview. And I think as we start to think about potential U.S. estate tax exposure these individuals might have, I always go back to thinking about how some of these individuals may be purchasing U.S. assets and owning those types of of assets within their estate. And so I read in 2022, there was about $54 billion in foreign purchases of U.S. residential real estate and foreign holdings of U.S. securities was around $27 trillion. So substantial amount of foreign purchases of U.S. assets Can you kind of expand on the estate tax liability that that generates and some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, all of that property is at risk of U.S. estate tax if it's held in the individual name of a non-U.S. person. And again, the exemption is only $60,000. So there is a lot of risk out there and not a lot of awareness. What happens a lot of the times is that the estate tax issues come up when the owner dies. Even then, the family might not learn about their U.S. estate tax obligations until they try to sell the U.S. property. Selling or transferring U.S. assets is going to trigger the estate tax. That's because U.S. property is subject to an automatic estate tax lien when the owner dies. So the family can't sell or transfer the property until they prove that they've filed any necessary returns and paid any necessary taxes. It can be a shock, but a lot of families do plan ahead to prevent estate tax. And when that happens, for example, they might talk to someone in their jurisdiction and find that treaty benefits can eliminate U.S. estate tax for their family. So they don't even need to do any planning. Or they might hold their U.S. property inside a foreign corporation that can be effective to prevent U.S. estate tax, but it can create complicated income tax issues. In a lot of cases, a foreign corporate structure is going to have complexity that outweighs the benefits, but in some cases, it's a really valuable planning tool. Another thing that families can do to plan ahead for U.S. estate tax is to hold U.S. securities not directly, but through a foreign mutual fund or an ETF. When they hold U.S. securities through a foreign fund, then the asset that's in their estate at death is the foreign fund. They're not treated as directly owning the U.S. securities, so there's no U.S. tax. So to summarize, we're looking at very low threshold amounts at just a $60,000 exemption. And it sounds like you're working with clients and they, they may use different types of strategies to help to plan for that. One thing you touched on, Ruth, is that entities are often used by these clients. And I thought that was really interesting and kind of timely as well, because as you and I have talked about, there's a new law going into effect on January 1st of next year. So January 1st, 2024 a new law called the Corporate Transparency Act goes into effect, and that law imposes new reporting requirements for foreign and domestic entities. Can you shed a little bit of light on what the Corporate Transparency Act may require? Sure. The idea behind the Corporate Transparency Act is to identify the individuals who own and control all U.S. closely held companies. So any company that registers with a secretary of state or a tribal authority, like an LLC, a corporation, any other sort of entity, as long as it's registering, it's going to be subject to the Corporate Transparency Act. For a lot of years, the U.S. has provided anonymous ownership and protection from international reporting. So a lot of people have taken advantage of that. And the U.S. has been seen as a bit of a haven. So the Corporate Transparency Act is one step to bring the U.S. back into alignment with other countries in the world. And um, it's a big step for us in the U.S., 
but it is in line with what's happening elsewhere. So who gets identified under the Corporate Transparency Act? That's everyone with a significant ownership interest, everybody who has substantial control over the company's activities, everybody who forms a reporting company, and all that information goes to FinCEN. That's the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's a bureau of the U.S. Treasury. And even non-U.S. persons get reported under the Corporate Transparency Act. So if a non-U.S. person owns or controls enough of a U.S. reporting company, then that non-U.S. person's name and identifying information is going to be reported to FinCEN. For example, in that structure I was talking about where a non-U.S. person holds real estate inside a corporate structure, so there's a U.S. corporation then owned by a foreign corporation... That will prevent U.S. estate tax, but it's going to be subject to Corporate Transparency Act reporting starting January 1st of next year. So the CTA is essentially a reporting law. It's not a tax law. And that's a very helpful overview. But one thing that makes me kind of wonder as we're talking through this is that with increased reporting to FinCEN, do you think the IRS is now going to have access to that information? So are the departments going to talk to one another? And when we think back to the fact that foreign nationals pay a state tax at just a $60,000 exemption, we have very low threshold amounts. As we talked about, there are foreign nationals that do own substantial assets in the U.S. So as they're thinking about layering some of those assets within entities, now the Corporate Transparency Act may sort of remove some of that, um, remove that bail and create some additional transparency. So my question to you is, do you think this the CTA will create a situation where international clients may realize now that they do have an estate tax liability or estate tax exposure. Yeah, I I certainly hope so. Because if we can catch the tax issues now, then we have time to plan. The Corporate Transparency Act doesn't create any new tax. But as you say, the information is going to FinCEN. FinCEN is closely related to the IRS. They're both under the Treasury Department. So we can assume that the IRS is going to uh, want to make use of the information that FinCEN is gathering. And the information is available to government authorities. It is not publicly disclosed, but it's available to law enforcement and to government authority according to their need. So I know that a lot of times right now I hear from family members after their loved ones have passed away, it's too late at that moment to prevent U.S. taxation. So if the CTA raises awareness about U.S. reporting and taxation, then that's a good result. I couldn't agree more. And I know that as planners, we talk a lot about the importance of getting the planning done today in anticipation of this new law. I think that it's going to create the opportunity to have some of those conversations. And you've done a fantastic job level setting the needs. So we have a situation again, where there may be estate tax liabilities or other reasons why foreign nationals are looking to U.S. and in particular U.S. life insurance to help with some of those, uh, to address some of those needs. So How do you see U.S. life insurance policies being utilized to help address some of these planning needs? Yeah, life insurance can be invaluable for estate tax planning. Life insurance on the life of a non-U.S. person can pass free of all income tax and free of all estate tax with no need for an irrevocable life insurance trust. Obviously, if you've got a reason to have a trust, some beneficiary doesn't shouldn't be receiving pro- proceeds outright, then you can still have one, but you don't need it for tax purposes like you do for a domestic life insurance policy. 
If a person wants to own property or securities in the United States, a lot of strategies that are used to avoid or prevent U.S. estate tax can be impractical. So in that way, life insurance can be an easy and cost-effective way to cover the tax. Life insurance also, I understand, can be used as an asset class, and some foreign high net worth individuals ask about this. So I understand that there may be more capacity and more attractive pricing in the U.S. than in other countries. And so some of my clients find U.S. life insurance to be very attractive. They can get more death benefit for less. It's valuable then to educate foreign high net worth individuals because a lot of times they don't think about life insurance as an asset class. It's it's not attractive in their home jurisdictions. But if you're engaging in any sort of education on this issue, we have to be careful because we don't want to do anything that could be considered solicitation in another country. It's a great point. And so just to summarize, I think what we see in terms of opportunity for these clients is in some ways what we see as the need for life insurance in general. So it's the need for helping to plan for liquidity. And so we know that liquidity is due at death in many situations. State taxes is one component of that, but it can also be for other planning needs as well. You mentioned capacity. I can sort of back that up too, that we do find generally speaking that U.S. carriers are able to offer greater capacity on these types of cases. So John Hancock, for example, we can offer our full capacity for those A countries. And so understanding the nuances of where an individual resides and some of the underwriting considerations does come into play. But generally speaking, that can can make purchasing U.S. life insurance more attractive than potentially buying life insurance in their home country. Additionally, you mentioned, you know, some of the the complexities that can come up here. So particularly, I think as we think about that intersection of U.S. law with the laws of a client's residency jurisdiction, this is an area of a lot of opportunity. But I think with complexity, you know, it does come some planning mistakes that can come up from time to time. So I know I love to always hear from from attorneys like yourself, what are some of the things you're seeing out there? Are there planning mistakes that you routinely see and how can we help to avoid some of those pitfalls? Yes. It's very important to, even though in general, life insurance in the U.S. can be quite valuable to non-U.S. persons, it's not always a good answer. In particular, U.S. life insurance might not be tax efficient in the client's jurisdiction. So it's really important to get local advice before issuing a policy. It can also be helpful to engage with U.S. counsel that specializes in cross-border planning because sometimes we can spot issues and address them before they become problems. And we might have creative strategies that have worked in other cross-border situations. Like if you've got a family that does really need a trust to receive life insurance proceeds, but they live in a jurisdiction where trusts aren't very good, maybe an LLC might be a substitute for a trust. So there are a lot of different planning opportunities in the international world, but a lot of them can get very complex very quickly. In fact, some international strategies are are super complex and the goal is just to get every last tax dollar out of this deal. And they can produce phenomenal tax results, but I find that some of the more complicated plans tend to work for a limited period of time or only in limited circumstances and, and fixing problems can be expensive. So, If you find that your client is hearing about a a really incredibly complex plan and you think to yourself, I wonder if there is a simpler solution, there just might be one. And life insurance, honestly, uh, you know, individually owned, I find can be a, a more straightforward alternative. 
Right. And I can't stress that enough. One of the things you said is the importance of understanding what those home jurisdiction laws say and do and how the U.S. planning relates to that. And so uh, engaging counsel that specializes in that and spends the majority of their practice focused on those multinational issues is so important and something that I know you and your firm do an amazing job with. So with that, any final thoughts, Ruth? I know this is an area that I find to be very ripe with opportunity and there are some nuances, but what what final thoughts do you have for us today? Well, to your point about the local jurisdiction, I should mention very specifically that just like the U.S. doesn't consider certain foreign life insurance policies to be quote-unquote life insurance, many foreign jurisdictions are not going to honor U.S. life insurance under their laws. And so when I say that it might not be tax efficient, I mean, it might not even be recognized as life insurance in the foreign jurisdiction. So you're you're right to point that out. And I think it's worth emphasizing in more detail. So that's a very important planning consideration and one to work with local counsel to see how the plan can be structured so that it doesn't create problems in either jurisdiction. I mean, I find international planning to be very exciting. There's always something new happening. But even as things change, some strategies stay consistently valuable. So, and life insurance is one of those. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. This has been really informative and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Great. So before we wrap up our show today, I do just want our listeners to get some additional information on some of the questions that I often hear in this space. So when I'm not hosting Hancock Talks, I lead our advanced markets group here at John Hancock. And and through that, some of the questions on foreign national planning come through me and my team in conjunction with our underwriting team. Uh, So just want to share some things that I've seen in my practice. And here at John Hancock, we can place coverage on what we define as a wealthy global citizen. And so that's someone with a minimum global net worth of five million dollars and also has a sufficient u.s connection which is what we call nexus so when we're assessing nexus from an underwriting perspective we have a dedicated underwriting team that looks at these cases um, and they're really specialized in addressing some of the nuances around foreign national planning they look holistically at some of those factors uh, things like u.s real estate ownership uh, does the client have u.s business interests what investment holdings might they have And then we'll also look at additional considerations as well. Ruth pointed this out earlier. All solicitation has to happen in the U.S. And then there are some other nuanced underwriting requirements to keep in mind. But generally speaking, you know, as Ruth and I have covered today, this is such a vibrant market. And it's an area that we here at John Hancock would love to partner with you on. So if you have questions on your next case, please feel free to reach out to your John Hancock representative, to one of our underwriters or to me or my advanced markets team. And we're happy to point you in the direction to learn more. And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic and access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit us at jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening. For the statistic, in 2022, there was $54.4 billion in foreign purchases of U.S. residential real estate is from the National Association of Realtors, 2022 International Transactions in U.S. Residential Real Estate, www.nar.realtor research and statistics. For the statistic, those foreign holdings of U.S. securities were around $27 trillion is from the Department of the Treasury, foreign portfolio holdings of U.S. securities as of June 22, 2022, https colon slash slash tickdata.treasury.gov. 
This information is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a recommendation of any particular product or is providing advice. Clients should consult with their own independent professionals regarding their own individual circumstances. Trusts should be drafted by an attorney familiar with such matters in order to take into account income and estate tax laws, including the generation skipping tax. Failure to do so could result in adverse tax treatment of trust proceeds. There can be costs associated with drafting a trust. This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice and is not intended for use by the taxpayer for the purposes of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of the time we produce the material. All information and materials provided by John Hancock are to support the marketing and sale of our products and services and are not intended to be impartial advice or recommendations. John Hancock and its representatives will receive compensation from such sales or services. Anyone interested in these transactions or topics may want to seek advice based on their particular circumstances from independent professionals. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. These opinions are subject to change and there is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. Policy issuance is not guaranteed as any life insurance purchase is subject to completion of an application, including health questions and underwriting approval. John Hancock may obtain additional information, including medical records, to evaluate the application for insurance and, after the policy is issued, to identify any misrepresentation in the application. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York, 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. MLINY 10192395 Two dash one.